welcome to the Queen Bee Book Club podcast. I'm Cheryl Ampatia. And I'm Audrey Schultz, and we are going to be your hosts on this brand new adventure. Guys, just so you know, we just recorded this podcast and we just deleted the whole thing. It was a real nightmare scenario. In the first iteration, we had two microphones, but that was a little ambitious for the second time around. Now we just have one, so our faces are really close together. Yeah, we're in this very hot room. It's 100 degrees. I may have um, preemptively tweeted on our account, which we should all follow, by the way. It's um, at Queen Bee Book Club. B is not spelled out, so it's Queen Letter B Book Club um, on Instagram and Twitter. And I tweeted a little preemptively that a really nice man helped us in a pink shirt to make this podcast a success. And then we immediately deleted everything we had. Yeah, so we really we jinxed ourselves on that one. So anyway, we're back. Um, we're starting strong. We're starting know. strong. <laughs> anyway, okay, so I guess the first thing is um, a little bit about ourselves. So um, we are two alumnas of um, Georgetown University's English Master's program. And we decided to start this podcast because while we don't miss some of the stress of graduate studies, we definitely miss having great conversations about our favorite books and getting together and having fun debates and whatnot. And while I don't think that we were like the class clowns of grad school, um, I think we were definitely some of the less um, self-serious students. Mm -hmm. And so although we were just as academically rigorous and ambitious, I think we didn't have some of the pretension that sometimes comes with academia. Mm -hmm. So basically, we want to have our ideal grad class, which is lots of jokes to our our liking and also some substantive conversations. And we get to focus on the stuff that we want. Like we want to talk about feminism only. We don't want to talk about deconstruction ever. No, there'll be no theory. None ever. Never. So, you know, regret giving us master's degrees if you want Georgetown, but it's too late because we already graduated. And you can't take them away. No, you cannot. Um so how this um, podcast will be different from graduate school, in case you're listening to this and you're like, God, I don't want to take a grad class with it is not two like unqualified women. <laughs> um, so this is going to be more more informal discussions about literature, about books that we're reading. We're only going to be reading the books that we actually want to read. So, And our first book is The Bell Jar. So By Miss Sylvia Plath. Keeping it classic. Or Mrs. Sylvia Plath, I suppose. She did get married. Yeah, but her husband was horrible. So I'm going <laughs> I'm to I'm stick with Ms. <laughs> Ms. Sylvia Plath. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so the structure of this podcast, we're going – we're obviously not going to be talking about one book per week because that would be a little too much. We do have jobs after all. We do. And also that's part of the reason – that grad school sometimes wasn't fun is because you had to read a lot in a week. So we're going to read as much as we want to read. To be honest, you guys, my eyes have actually gotten significantly worse in the two years that I was in grad school (laughs) because of the amount of squinting at like very small print in the wee hours of the night. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to be reading books kind of in pieces and then having conversations. So we would definitely invite you to read along, you obviously can't do that for this week unless you knew in advance that it was going to be the bell jar. And but you could always read it, you know, stop now and then read it, yes. so you're so you're caught up with us, and then mm-hmm. then come back and hear what we had to say. Absolutely. Um, so 
I guess we can kind of jump into our, our conversation about the bell jar. So I guess the first thing that I wanted to talk about is just our, our personal connections to the bell jar and why we picked it as our mm-hmm. first book. Number one, I think it's a book a lot of people have heard of. It's got a reputation. <laughs> but um, I think also both of us had a very intense personal connection to the book. Um, I f- read it for the first time when I was 16. I was a junior in high school. I was very misunderstood, very angsty. Um, I read the complete works of Sylvia Plath in a summer. I went to the, to the public library to check them all out in the library, and I think probably was thinking, okay, this girl's the worst. <laughs> Maybe could use a psychiatrist. Um, but I think I really connected to her in that um, she was very smart and very um, – witty but I think she also was deeply insecure in the Belger I guess I should say Esther not Sylvia Plath although I do think they're a little bit similar well I mean it's definitely (laughs) I think it's it's a it's we can take it as fact that it's a pretty semi-autobiographical novel for sure um and anyway so I I I very much connected with the book and um anyway so it, it meant a lot to me and then I read it not so long ago like maybe six months ago and a lot of it is still very pertinent to me, maybe even more pertinent than mm-hmm. it was back then. Yeah, I first read The um, the Bell Jar a few months ago. Um, I'm now rereading it again for this podcast because I'm going, unlike grad school, I'm going to be very diligent about doing the reading. for every, Well, because with two people, it would be pretty obvious if one of us didn't do the reading. But when oh, you're in a sure. grad class of like 15, you can... You can get by. Just you can definitely get by. Although, do it on a close read or two. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I read it um, a few months ago. You know, definitely after I left all schooling institutions. So I had graduated from college and from grad school. And so the stuff that Esther kind of goes through and being a really successful student, and then wondering how that's going to translate into the rest of her life, and realizing that success in school kind of doesn't really translate to the rest of your life. It's like she's really good at winning prizes and then all of a sudden that kind of is going to go away. And so what does that mean for her kind of self-worth and her idea of who she is? And I was like, oh, yeah, that that applies to me exactly. And just um, kind of the idea of being really interested in literature and in arts and culture and then not particularly knowing exactly how you can kind of translate that into a meaningful and fulfilling career. And still make a comfortable wage, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess um, I guess we can kind of dive into our general discussion. Sure. Um, so uh, one of my favorite games in life is to ask, <laughs> um, you know, after a party or a family dinner or anything, to ask people, the people that I go home with, it's like, so who is your favorite person that you met and who is your least favorite person? Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to apply that game to the bell jar. Um, Who's your favorite character and who's your least favorite character? Well, I think my favorite character is a little bit of the obvious choice. It would be Esther, mostly because she is our narrator and so we know the most about her and get to know her the best. But also I just really relate to her. Like what I said before, part of the reason I connect to this book so much is because – You know, it's just so relevant to, I think, what women and all people, I think, go through when they graduate from college or from high school and they kind of have to reorient their way in the world. And I also think she's like kind of funny and I relate to her sometimes feeling a little insecure and like a lot of social situations and 
So um, I'm down with my girl Esther. And then I think the my least favorite is the obvious Buddy Willard. Who sucks? Buddy Willard is the number one worst. He blows. I agree. Buddy Willard is also my least favorite character. Um, yeah. So let's talk about maybe some of our favorite and really most least favorite Buddy Willard moments. Mm-hmm. Um, my number one least favorite is when Buddy Willard decides that he would like to show Esther his penis. And he does it <laughs> in the most bizarre, weird way possible in a way that's like... I am giving you this privilege to look upon me. And Esther is like, oh, my God, this is horrible. Like, yeah. I have no I have no interest in this. I don't. I really didn't appreciate that he was like, you better get used to looking at me like this. And no, es- maybe es- I won't. And then he's like, oh, and let me see you. And Esther's like, no, thank you. Like, I'm, I don't want to do this. I bet Buddy Willard's not very well endowed. I would definitely agree. I'd be shocked. No, I would definitely agree. I mean, I think it is probably a sense of insecurity and like that maybe that like slutty waitress gave him a little <laughs> bit of confidence in yeah. that, but yeah. that area. But anyway, um, so that that maybe is like one of my least favorite moments. Um, but just in general, like his his aggregate qualities um, are horrible. So I, I assembled a bit of a list of really what a true catch Buddy Willard is. And what prompted me to do this is when so Buddy Willard con- contracts tuberculosis. As deserved. Yeah. <laughs> um, and But, like, weirdly, and, of course, like, Buddy doesn't even have, like, the deadly kind. It's like, no, like, you don't can't catch it. I'm just kind of, like, going to get fat in this weird place and still get to study medicine. So I'm confused about how serious his disease actually is. Well, I guess they say it's like a bomb in his lung. I mean, to be honest, I know very little about tuberculosis. My knowledge is Moulin Rouge. Okay. And, I mean, Satine died, so... But I mean, he's I feel sa- like it's deadly. He's saying, well, yeah, I think you definitely can die, but I, I, I don't really know like how they cure it. I don't know. It seems like even <laughs> he didn't even do TB right. Like he couldn't even get like no. one that would make you be like, oh, poor dude. He's not contagious or no. anything. He just sucks. Um, so when he has the audacity to propose to Esther, like that is like lucky her in a horrible way too. Like. How would you like to be the next Mrs. Buddy Willard? Not at all. Like, not at all. Also, like, not Esther, will you marry me? It's like, let's talk about how you will be the Mrs. Me. Yeah. Dick. Horrible. Um, So, all right. What a catch Buddy Willard is. Has TB. Is the general worst. Yep. He likes girls that don't cost him very much money. Like, he, he... specifically mentions yeah i like joan yeah poor joan yeah. you know what i bet she was just being polite and saying like no you don't have to pay for me if you don't want to but you know what i bet she would have loved it if he splurged a little on her yeah so he looks he looks for a cheap date <sighs> yeah um he slut shames esther even though he has had sex with like some tardy waitress and esther's just been like kind of living esther's a virgin like yeah. i mean not that it matters but but She's then es- making out with, in bushes like other girls at no, Smith. And I think Esther also notices like, hey, it's really unfair that it doesn't matter if if men don't save themselves for marriage. But if women do, like, then that's a real problem. Esther's like, well, I want to get back at him because that doesn't really yeah. seem fair. Well, and then Buddy is like, you're the one. It's like it's her fault, I guess, that he's attracted to her. Like he has a very unhealthy attitude about sex. Oh, for sure. I would say. Um, OK, so he gained a lot of weight very quickly. Yeah. So clearly doesn't take care of himself very well um, yeah. or is prone to depression eating. Because I'd imagine if you contract tuberculosis, 
and then you have to go to medical school and like TV college, like you're probably not psyched. And what else is there for him to do but like kind of eat pudding? Well, and I think like you can't really do much. Although I was very confused. Like you can go skiing when you have tuberculosis. Like I don't, I don't really. That that I feel like you have a bomb in your lung. You shouldn't be skiing. It's yeah, skiing is hard work. Well, and you know what? That's another thing. He makes Esther go skiing when she doesn't want to, and you know what? She breaks her leg. Yeah, which I think was on purpose, just so she didn't have to spend any more time with him and his horrible personality. (laughs) He also um, he won a prize for convincing families to donate their loved ones' bodies to science. Like, he was good at doing that. So can you imagine, like... So basically, he's a bully. Yeah, so... But, like, a creepy, like... Emotionally manipulative bully. Yes, like, the worst men. Women run from men like Buddy Willard. Yeah. And all all of us. All fictional men with the last name beginning with W are bad news. I'm talking Willoughby. I'm talking Wickham. Yep. I'm talking... Buddy Willard. Yeah. I can't per- perhaps it. the worst of the worst. You know what? Because he's not even cool. Like, at least, like, Wickham and Willoughby were, like, hot. Yeah. And so you were like, all right, Elizabeth. All right. Um, no. Matt, Marianne? No, Buddy Willard's not hot. Also, like, so Audrey and I um, went out with a couple of friends last night. And in the middle of our conversation, which we were having, like, a very exclusive, fun conversation, mm-hmm. this horrible married man came up to us <laughs> and like tried to engage us in conversation and that's what reminds me of buddy willard like he people would totally who, do that yeah and just like also having the attitude of like you're so lucky that i'm coming to talk to you mm-hmm. like aren't you graced by my wonderful presence and the answer is no the answer is no you white privileged asshole married too like yes. like his wife also sounded great by the way like she's a dress designer oh yeah like for her um for Tahari? Like, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, whatever. Fuck him. Also, he'd been married for two months. Like, come on. Like, at least, like, be loyal for a year <laughs> at least. Come on. He's going to cheat on her. He was not of good character. No. Clearly not. God bless whoever you are. But, I mean, besides from Buddy Willard being the literal worst and being fun to hate, um, I think, uh, and we talked about this in, in our original recording. Yeah. Um. I think that Plath um, really kind of interestingly uses Buddy Willard and Esther to kind of dramatize this difference that she sees between men and women or or like the conflict between masculine and feminine and also right. between arts and science. And because right. Buddy Willard is allowed to kind of pursue medicine as a profession and he kind of looks down upon Esther's Esther. poetry. And yeah, stuff. until yeah. he writes some when he has oh. tuberculosis. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So first, the first thing that he says to Esther in a, like, I'm going to educate you because I'm really smart and you're a wee woman kind of way. He's like, Esther, do you know what a poem is? It's a speck of dust. And Esther's like, excuse me, yeah, how dare you? And then a few months later, once Buddy Willard's fat and has TB, she finds a poem that he published, and he's all proud of it. And Esther's like, this is bad poetry. <laughs> and the oh. worst is the way he presents it. He's like, look, check out, check out this poem. Recognize the author. I'm like, fuck you. Yeah, and big surprise, his name is B.S. Willard. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> well done, SP. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think... That one of the things that this novel is really interested in is is the fate of the woman, especially the well-educated woman. I mean, Esther, although she does not come from, like, a really, like, storied, you know, family or whatever, yeah. she's able to achieve and move up, you know, socially a lot because of 
her intelligence and her ability to work hard. And then, you know, she kind of realizes while she's in New York that it's like, all right, so then what? Like either I guess I could become a professor, but mostly everyone just expects me to get married. And that sucks. Yeah, it totally sucks. So, you know, these women are just expected to become so unbelievably educated and and then they just like have to like wash dishes or I guess they wouldn't because they probably would have maids. But no, I think that they, they just would. run a home. No, I think that well, because I don't think that Esther has enough money, though, either. Like, like, I think that her experience of what being a wife is, is like mm-hmm. not great. No. And I think, yeah, like baked into that. So like we have this idea of like gender um, and like women not really being able to like kind of achieve maybe everything that they would be able to achieve, even though we do have JC as kind of an a, an example of a woman who is, who has achieved things. But even her, like, they're, even the women look down upon her. Yeah. Like, she's ugly. She doesn't dress well. Like, she dresses kind of, um, like, traditionally masculine, especially when she's going to go out to meetings. She puts, like, suit jackets on. And yeah. even though, like, she has kind of a feminine taste, like, she's wearing hats with lilacs on it and stuff. Yeah, she's sweet. I like JC. Um, Team JC. Another character who I will say, like, so this is this is my pick for um, for favorite character is um, Esther's benefactor, who's paying like for her scholarship. Mm-hmm. And Esther goes over to her house, um, basically to say thank you, and like she gives her this like bowl full of flowers which like Esther thinks is like a really fancy like bougie (laughs) soup but it turns out it was like the thing she was supposed to wash her hands in and she like drinks the whole thing and eats the petals and the lady like doesn't say a word and like also this lady is super cool like she like wrote a several like really fun novels that turned into fancy movies and then she's like yeah like I, I didn't do that great in college but like I'm doing fine And, like, I just think also the fact that she does not embarrass Esther, like, Mm -hmm. she just, like, like, lets her go and doesn't say a word is, like, I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Props to her for not kicking Esther out of the house. Don't remember her name, but, like, she seems like like a bit of a Norma Desmond who's, you know. The dream. The dream. The dream. Absolutely. Well, and I think, yeah, these class anxieties – that are kind of baked into this book are really real and like what will become of of Esther is a real question because she can't just kind of hang like a lot of these women who become secretaries or you know like get to live in these really fancy places or can just live with their parents after they get this great education and it doesn't matter but uh, Esther really has to make a choice and she doesn't know what to do. Well I think Esther also is not interested really I mean I think Esther Esther might be interested in getting married to the right person Mm -hmm. but I think she's not interested in being married to like a Buddy Willard and like being well right (laughs) but like I think she's not she's she wants to do something with her life Mm -hmm. which like you know fair enough yeah I yeah I mean who yeah like that I think that's what I you know you really relate to with Esther is that she is so interested in poetry and and I think, but she's also been taught for her whole life that, you know, because she came from a poorer background that she really has to, like, she can't just be a poet. Like, right. that's kind of a luxury. I think that Sylvia Plath is very honest about the idea that to be an artist is kind of, or to be interested in the arts might be a little bit of a luxury. Oh, definitely. And I think, too, like, the idea, like, comes up that we talked about also in our previous recording about, like, the the, like, arts and sciences like going against each other and like you have Buddy Willard like 
who's this horrible man, but he was like seen as very successful and desirable because he's able to get this job that's like very straightforward and like mm-hmm. very like obviously successful. And then you have Esther, who's like this very intelligent, I would say more intelligent woman who's interested in the arts and the humanities, but like her path is not, it's not as clear. Mm-hmm. And I think um, when she has her conversation with JC and JC is like, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And Esther's like, I honestly don't know. And like that answer really surprises herself, but she realizes that it's true because like actually the humanities don't have a very like always direct track. Like you you don't go to humanity school and become a mm-hmm. like a doctor like you <laughs> you have to you have to pick something yeah and I also like that science and the arts do become kind of um masculine and feminine and that and almost like Sylvia Plath frequently writes science as like something that's tricking women like that whole yeah. scene that whole birth scene where he's like oh well, yeah horrible <laughs> I hate that scene where it's like oh yeah this um this drug that we give these women you know like we don't really know if it's actually not causing them pain or like they are feeling pain, but they just don't remember it so that they'll. So who cares? Yeah. Like whatever. Fucking men. Yeah. If you don't remember the pain, did it even happen? I guess it would be the question. And it did. Yeah. I mean, come on. Um, And I think that should be something that we maybe can track, especially as Esther's kind of mental health deteriorates and she seeks professional guidance. I think we'll start to see even more how maybe the sciences are failing women. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think we can also talk about, like, the issue of hunger. Like, what you were saying that, you know, Esther and JC are both kind of hungry for, like, success and for life, and that's even reflected in the fact that Syl- or Esther is, like, very... Um, she likes food a lot, and she's, like, yeah. obsessed with eating, and she's obsessed with kind of, like, expansion, I think. Like... She doesn't like chemistry and she doesn't like the idea that a lot of New Yorkers are trying to like cut back and winnow down and like the idea even of like, like diet. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think she's really afraid of fading into nothing mm-hmm. when she like when really what she wants is to kind of break through and to expand into a fuller person. And so and I think it's really smart how what an asshole that I mean it's really smart that Sylvia Plath one of our greatest yeah exactly working writing women well I guess she's not working anymore because she's dead but but I think I think you're right about that whole feeling of smallness and Mm -hmm. like disappearing because like basically Esther goes to New York after she's been in college and you know she's a big fish like she's she's very successful her teachers adore her and then she goes to New York and she's working and it's not the same. And mm-hmm. she's not, you know, she's not able to be that big fish anymore. Like she is small all of a sudden. And that's a big surprise. Yeah. And it was a surprise to us, too, when we graduated. It was. It is. It is a surprise. It's always still surprising. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we are literally being, kicked, being out. kicked out of our current recording space. So we do have to wrap this up. But we're going to be talking about the bell jar for at least another week if not two weeks probably two honestly probably two weeks there's a lot to there's a lot to go over so do follow us on twitter do follow us on instagram it's at queen bee book club and that's b just the letter b you can also email us on our gmail account it's um queen b b spelled out b book club at gmail.com and if you ever have any suggestions or if you like have a book you really want us to read or whatever definitely tweet at us tweet it as things that you liked about yeah. the episode. Yeah. And if um, 
we'd love to hear your thoughts on the bell jar too if you're reading along so feel yeah, free tweet to tweet at us yeah or email us if you have something more substantive to say than yeah. 150 characters or whatever it is don't tell us you don't like our voices because that's we sexist. don't want to hear it at we all don't care we don't care just turn it off like why bully us you Who? know what get used to hearing women in authoritative places yeah i almost said authoritarian <laughs> yeah oligarchs we will be <laughs> or queens yeah queen bees queen bees um, all right so we will if i mean like providing that we can get everything to work next week we will record again. honestly i'm feeling more comfortable asking for help next week because we like we literally had to ask for help three or four times with stuff problem so, children yeah so I, I think now that I've taken that quiz or whatever, mm-hmm, with, like, mm-hmm. pass with flying colors, maybe they'll yes. take me a little more seriously. Absolutely. Well, we should get out of here before we make the sweet man that's really helped us out today. Pink polo shirt. Shout out. Shout Love out. you. Um, we don't want to make you anxious. Yeah. He's not lingering by the door, which no. is nice. Because he's a delight. Yeah. Like, he just kind of, he gave Buddy us, like, Buddy Willards a... of the world, take note. Yeah. You should be more like pink polo. Yeah. Pink polo forever. <laughs> um, our first mascot. <laughs> well listen next week we hope you liked it um we hope you're excited read the bell jar tweet us anything you want us to cover and we'll see you next time all right bye bye